to Fresh Image. Fresh Image is a nonprofit Catholic ministry committed to providing individuals and communities with resources to facilitate the full flourishing of the image of God in each and every single human person. Not only will you find hundreds of articles, convenient audios and presentations on our beautiful faith, but also catechetical resources to be used in the classroom, at the parish, and at the kitchen table. Today, we are happy to present Fresh Image Gospel Reflections from our founder, Tony Crescio. Tony reminds us that it is when we look into the mirror of Scripture that we discover the unique image of God we have each been created to be. My dear friends in Christ, last Sunday, we explored the issue of tolerance spoken of much in today's society, which elevates tolerance as an unparalleled virtue. Then, we asked ourselves two questions. First, we asked ourselves whether tolerance is a good to be sought by Christians. Having answered in the affirmative, we asked ourselves what authentic tolerance consists of in light of our gospel reading from last Sunday in the parable of the unforgiving servant from the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel. We found that authentic Christian tolerance is an imitation of divine tolerance and is exercised by the joint working of three key virtues. The first virtue was that of humility. The virtue of humility enables an accurate evaluation of oneself and therefore helps us to see that regardless of how far along on our journey of Christian discipleship we may be, we are all as yet imperfect, still works in progress. The virtue of humility thus prays God be patient with one as we make our journey and in turn enables us to exercise the virtue of patience with one another, forgiving their sins against us just as we ask God to forgive us our sins against Him. Ultimately, we saw that these virtues of humility and patience are always exercised together with the virtue of justice that seeks to live according to the twofold order of love of God and neighbor, so that we might one day be reconciled into the family of God in the heavenly kingdom with our Father and Creator. This Sunday, the parable Jesus teaches us impresses upon us the reality of divine tolerance and how as long as we live this side of eternity, it is never too late to respond to the call of divine mercy. Today's gospel comes from the beginning of chapter 20 of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus presents us with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Jesus begins by saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out at dawn to hire laborers for his vineyard. There are several key elements in Jesus' setting of the scene in this opening verse to attend to if we are to read this parable correctly. First of all, Jesus begins by making clear that the parable he is going to present us with functions by way of analogy. This is made clear by the opening words, The kingdom of heaven is like. As we have discussed at more length in the past, Jesus' use of analogical stories or parables means that what he teaches us by them is a sort of partial glimpse of ultimate reality, teaching us some small tidbits about the way God has created things and guides them through history by his divine providence. Thus, by highlighting the analogical character of the parable, Jesus is calling us to attend to the dynamics carefully in order to learn how it is that God calls us to live in relationship with Him and one another. The second element to note here is the main character of the parable, the landowner. The translation can throw us off a bit here. For the word translated as landowner is the Greek 
oiko despote, which means master of the house. This is an important adjustment, for one of the root words in the Greek is oikos, which means a house or household. Oikos is also the root of the Greek oikonomia, which is where we derive the English word economy from. In its most basic sense, oikonomia refers to the running of the household, including whatever way the household earned a living. In this case, by running a vineyard. The fathers of the church picked up on this imagery used in scripture and used it theologically to speak of God's economy of salvation. The economy of salvation refers to how God providentially orders all things, his household, if you want, to bring salvation to this world that he so loves. For example, in the second century in book three of his work against heresies, St. Irenaeus of Lyon wrote that, The whole economy of salvation regarding man came to pass according to the good pleasure of the Father. This is central to understanding this parable, as it is a clear indication that what it teaches us has to do with how God brings about our salvation. The third element to mention is the time of day, dawn. Within the context of this parable, the word contains several layers of meaning. Literally, it simply refers to the time of day. Consequently, the master of the house goes out, as we would expect, at the beginning of the day to find workers for his vineyard. However, when we bring dawn into conversation with what has already been said about the master of the house representing God, the word dawn takes on a couple of additional meanings. When we think of God and the beginning, we think of his act of creation. Genesis 1 literally begins with the phrase, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Thus, when we hear that the master of the household went out at dawn, we should make the connection to creation, the very beginning of time. Consequently, by the time we get to the end of the parable and arrive at evening, we will have arrived at the end of time. However, Genesis is not the only book of scripture that begins with the words, in the beginning. The Gospel of John does as well. However, John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. What John writes in the next three verses draws several elements together for us. John writes, All things came to be through him, and without him nothing came to be. What came to be through him was life, and this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. By writing in this way, John is making a clear connection between creation and salvation. Picking up on this, the fathers of the church often speak of salvation as recreation, God making all things new. For example, in Sermon 260d, Augustine tells his parishioners, God knows you because he created you and recreated you. You see, if he had only created you and not recreated you, you would have gone in with a lump of perdition. And notice also that John refers in these verses to the word as the light of the human race, which shines in the darkness. Matthew also uses the imagery of light shining in the darkness in chapter 4 of his own gospel by quoting chapter 9 of the prophet Isaiah. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, a light has arisen. The light which breaks through the darkness is the incarnate Son of God. The true light from true light we profess belief in when praying the Nicene Creed. The dawn in this parable thus denotes that the master of the house, 
God the Father, is about to set a new beginning, through the same beginning in which he created all things, through his Son, the light which dispels the darkness, enabling us to see the way forward and in this case, work our way forward. For Jesus next tells us that the master of the house went out with the purpose to hire laborers for his vineyard. Of course, neither the imagery chosen nor the words spoken by the divine word are accidental. So when he says laborers, he means just that. The father is going out to call people to work. Once again, this has a connection to the beginning. Genesis 2 tells us that after God was finished creating, he took the man and settled him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. The activity of Adam, our first ancestor, is not the only item to note here. Picture to yourself a garden. The way plants thrive in a garden is, in great part, by its being well-ordered. Plants must be kept within certain boundaries in order to have enough space to grow, but also so as to not impede the growth of the plants around it. This order enables all things to thrive, and when they do, the result is beautiful. Of course, any gardener knows to have a thriving garden requires a great deal of time and attentive work. The soil must be prepared, plants must be watered, weeds must be pulled, and a whole assortment of pests must be dealt with. All of this is also required for a vineyard to thrive and produce an abundant yield of grapes to send to the wine press. At this point, then, the vineyard is the place of God's recreation, the place where he orders all things so as to bring about salvation, fullness of life for the human race. We can say something more specific about the vineyard and what it represents momentarily, but it will make more sense if we read the next verse first. Jesus then tells us, After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. Here again we run into a translation issue. For the words daily wage, while helpful in a certain sense, prevent us from getting deeper into the meaning of this parable in another. What is helpful about them is that it maintains the understanding that the parable deals with a definite length of time, in this case, both all of history and a whole lifetime. However, it prevents us from seeing what exactly these laborers are hoping will be the result of their labor. For the words daily wage are a translation of the Greek denarius. A denarius was simply a small silver Roman coin. But, importantly, the image of the emperor was impressed upon the denarius. Recall that in Genesis 1 we are taught that the human creature is made in God's image and likeness. This small detail then clarifies a couple of items for us. First off, the laborers expect to receive an image for their efforts. When brought into conversation with what has already been discussed, these laborers are working for the renewal of God's image in themselves. Given that all human creatures, without exception, are created in God's image, the laborers are thus all the descendants of Adam, the entire human family throughout history, called by God to labor in his vineyard, so that the image they have been created in may shine with renewed brilliance. In order to see how, we might discuss the meaning of the vineyard further. What does the vineyard stand for? From what has already been said, the vineyard represents the laborers themselves who go to work, renewing the image of God in them. This is the reading given by St. John Chrysostom. John tells us that the vineyard symbolizes the ordering of the human person by the cultivation of the virtues. Why does John read the parable in this way? 
because growth in virtue for the fathers of the church is nothing less than growth in the life of the Son, who St. Paul describes as the virtue and wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians. John's reading here dovetails very nicely with Augustine's interpretation of Adam's work in the Garden of Eden and adds a layer of depth to our discussion here. In Book 8 of his work, The Literal Meaning of Genesis, Augustine writes, Could it be that what he worked on the land he should also guard and keep in himself through discipline? That is, just as the field submits to the man tilling it, in the same way the man should submit to his lord and master commanding him, so that having grasped the commandment, he might yield the harvest of obedience. According to Augustine, Adam was supposed to see himself in the garden. Just as the garden flourished through Adam's cultivation of it, Adam was to learn that God was cultivating the life of virtue in him so as to fully flourish into the unique expression of God's image he had been created to be. So too with the workers sent into the vineyard in our parable for today. Each member of the human family is being called to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, as St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians. However, the human creature cannot do this of their own volition or under their own steam. Rather, as St. Paul continues, God is the one who, for his good purpose, works in you both to desire and to work. The human creature, in other words, can only grow in virtue and fully flourish in holiness with the help of God's grace. This brings in a very important consideration. The full flourishing of the human creature is indeed a cooperative effort between creator and creature, between grace and free will. However, it is a non-competitive cooperative effort. It is not as though the human creature does its part and God does his. Rather, God works in and through the human creature non-competitively to sanctify them. It's creator and creature working full on simultaneously. This is exactly what St. Paul describes when he writes in his letter to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. The more fully the Creator's divine life flows through the human creature, the more perfectly does the human creature become the unique expression of God's image it has been created to be. In sum, the vineyard can be understood as each laborer, each human creature, cooperating with God's grace to perfect the image of God in themselves. But there are two additional ways the vineyard can be read. The first is the interpretation given by St. Gregory the Great and speaks to where the human creature is provided with the grace to flourish into the image of God it has been created to be. Drawing from Isaiah 5 verse 7 which reads, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Gregory interprets the vineyard as the church. It is in the church where the human creature is watered by the sacred font of baptism and is nourished by the bread of life, the Eucharist. And it is there where the human creature is instructed by the word of God revealed in scripture as to how it is to live in loving communion with its creator. The final way to interpret the vineyard is as the world in its entirety. In this interpretation, the laborers are those who have already responded to God's call in faith and are sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel in word and deed so that the whole human family might be drawn into loving communion with the creator and flourish into the creatures they have been created to be. This interpretation is legitimized in two ways. First, in the parable we are told that after agreeing to the daily wage, the laborers are sent 
into the vineyard to work. The word translated as sent here comes from the Greek apostelo, which means to send away. It is also where the word apostle comes from. The twelve apostles are literally the twelve who the Lord sends out into the world to proclaim the gospel, as in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 8. The laborers, then, become instruments of God's ongoing work of salvation down through history, such as the mission of every Christian. And just as the parable spans on a spiritual level, from the dawn until the end of time, so too the church will be at work in the world until the end of time, drawing as many as possible into loving communion with God. By their tireless efforts to proclaim the gospel with the entirety of their lives, the laborers imitate the divine master of the house. We see this in the way the master of the house continually goes out throughout the day, searching for laborers. Jesus tells us that the master of the house goes out again at 9 o'clock, at noon, at 3 o'clock, and finally at 5 o'clock, each time sending out more laborers into his vineyard to work. The repetitive calling of laborers throughout the day tells us three important things. First, and most importantly, it reveals something about our loving God. God is absolutely relentless and tireless in his pursuit of the human family and each individual member of it. He never ceases to call and gather a people to himself so that all might have life in abundance. The latter two things the repetitive calling of laborers reveals to us is slightly different depending on how we understand the various hours of the day. As has already been said, the entirety of the day can be read as all of human history and as the span of a human life. Consequently, on the one hand, the repetitive calling of laborers reveals how down through the centuries God calls human creatures, even the most unlikely and unexpected ones, to labor in his vineyard. Think here of the unlikely champions of the Christian faith, from the young prophet Jeremiah to the violent Pharisee Saul becoming the great apostle Paul, or the world-loving Augustine of Hippo becoming the church's great doctor of grace. These are just a few of the countless laborers who responded to the call to work in God's vineyard. On the other hand, we have said that the day can be read as the span of a human life. Thus, the repetitive calling of the master of the house symbolizes how God never ceases to call an individual to conversion, no matter how far away from him they seem to be. From the moment a human creature is born to the moment they take their last breath, God calls him or her to eternal loving communion with him. And the call is always the same, go and labor in my vineyard. Here the most iconic example is Dismas, the good thief, who hung on a cross beside the Savior. While the other thief, Gestus, derided Jesus, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Dismas had heard the call of the master of the house, converted, and went to work in God's vineyard. Thus, Dismas responds to Gestus with words of truth, saying, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes, but this man has done nothing criminal. To this confession of sin, Dismas then adds a confession of Christ, the Son of God, and thereby proclaims the gospel with what must have been some of, if not his final words. Dismas turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Perhaps better than most, Dismas, forever known paradoxically as the good thief, 
exemplifies for us how it is never too late to begin laboring in God's vineyard for the salvation of one's soul and the entire world. And this is precisely where divine logic defies our own, as God tells us through the prophet Isaiah in our first reading for today, from chapter 55 of the book which bears his name. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. Understanding the way the logic of divine mercy far surpasses our own, therefore also dispels any notion that we can somehow earn the life of heaven. When the workers come to get paid, no matter when they began work, all get paid the same wage. Those who began early in the morning are a bit disgruntled by this. Why should we get paid the same as those who started work late in the day, they ask. The analogy here is to those who are baptized at a young age and remain faithful Christian disciples throughout their lives. To them it may seem that a case like Dismas makes the difficult road of discipleship not worth the effort. After all, they might ask, why should I work so hard to grow in holiness if the result would be the same as if I converted late in life? To those who think in such a way, a twofold response may be offered. First, one never knows when one's life will come to an end, and one must always be prepared to meet one's Creator. But second, and I would say more importantly, individuals who think this way fail to realize the superabundant grace that they have been afforded to live such faithful lives. The Christian life of discipleship is hard work, absolutely, but it is not one we can accomplish on our own apart from grace. Regardless of whether we begin early or late in life, to live life with Christ is nothing less than sheer gift. We can do nothing to earn it on our own. My friends, by teaching this parable to us today, Jesus calls and sends us to labor in his vineyard. Regardless of age or socioeconomic situation, regardless of how mired in the depths of sin or how far along the road to holiness we might be, each and every single one of us is called to the same task, to labor in God's vineyard. We are called to labor for the purification of the image of God in ourselves, and by our very cooperation with God's grace in that process, we proclaim the gospel message that all have been created for loving communion with God and for nothing less. And each and every single time we respond to that call and proclaim the gospel, whether by word or deed, if we listen close enough, within the depths of our hearts whispers the voice of Christ through the conscience with the same message he once had for Dismas. Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Thank you for listening to this week's Gospel Reflection. For more resources, please visit us at freshimage.org. And remember, when you live a fresh life, you will be a breath of God's fresh, life-giving air to the world.